right, so I'm here. Uh, welcome to the Grok Science Show. I'm here with uh, Dr. David Han, he, uh, talking to him about his book, The Improbability Principle, Why Coincidences, Miracles, and Rare Events Happen Every Day. Uh, David Hand is a emeritus professor of mathematics at the Imperial College of London. He's also the former president of the Royal Statistical Society, and he uh, has written uh, many other books and hundreds of scientific papers. Uh, Dr. Hand, thank you for being on the show. Thank you very uh, so, much for inviting me. So your book is all about how seemingly very improbable events happen all the time, and I wanted to kind of talk to you some of, some about the, the theories about this. So can you explain to us a little bit about what is the improbability principle? Right. The, the improbability principle basically says that extremely improbable events are commonplace. And I know that sounds like a contradiction, but in fact, what the improbability principle does is explain the sort of mathematics and the reasons why highly improbable coincidences and other events should be expected to happen and why they in fact do keep happening. The principle itself is in fact formed of five underlying laws which sort of weed, weave uh, and braid together to form the principle. And these are the law of inevitability, the law of truly large numbers, the law of selection, the law of the probability lever, and the law of near enough. And I can give you examples. I can tell you what they are and give you examples of them. But they work together to make highly improbable events happen all the time. Okay, yeah. So uh, explain to us each of these, these five laws, because I think that they, they really kind of come together to form kind of the essence of, uh, of what you're trying to get at with the book. But I think that it really helps if you can have uh, yeah. an idea of each one. Yeah. Okay. So let me kick off with not the first one in the book, the second one in the book, I think, because this is one that people probably find most ready, most familiar, if you like. It's called the law of truly large numbers. In statistics, there's something called the law of large numbers, and this is different. This is the law of truly large numbers. And what the law of truly large numbers says is, if you've got something which is a, has a very tiny chance of occurring, but you give it a truly large number of opportunities to occur, then you should expect to see it happen, just because the tiny probability gets swamped by the huge number of opportunities. And one example of this sort of thing would be people being killed by a lightning strike. Around the world, the probability of any particular one person being killed in a year by lightning is about one in 300,000. It's a tiny chance, but there are seven billion people in the world, a truly large number of people. Um, and so you combine that very small probability, you give seven billion opportunities to happen, and it would be incredible if nobody was killed by lightning during the course of a year. And in fact, about 24,000 people are killed by lightnings around the, around the world each year. So that's the law of truly large numbers. Um, the law of inevitability, in a phrase, says something must happen. Um, so if I toss a coin, for instance, um, three things can happen. It can come up heads, it can come up tails, or it could lean against the wall or fold in the rug or something like that. I'll be caught by a passing bird. I'll call all those things other. So there are three possibilities, heads, tails, or other. One of those things must happen. It's the law of inevitability. That might sound like a, a particularly trivial law, but it does have practical application. I was going to say, so it's basically the idea that uh, no matter the situation, all of your probabilities have to equal one, and so that at some point, at some point, every possibility has to happen if you do it enough times. If you, if you do it enough times, the law of truly large numbers says every possibility has to happen, and the law of inevitability says one of those things is guaranteed to happen. It is certain, inevitable, that one of those things will happen. So one of my favorite examples here is, is, is the lottery. Um, the UK has what's called a 649 lottery. You have to buy 
uh, each ticket consists of six numbers chosen from 49 numbers. And if you do the maths on that, that means there are 14 million different tickets. So if you were very wealthy and you could run around very fast buying tickets, you could buy all 14 million different tickets, which mean, which by the law of inevitability would mean it's inevitable, it's certain that you would, amongst all your tickets, would be the jackpot winning ticket. And people have, in fact, taken advantage of that, tried to take advantage of that by waiting until uh, the lotteries had rolled over to make uh, a very large, to make more than 14 million pounds or dollars um, worth of uh, uh, profit and then run around very fast to buy all the tickets. But of course, I should say there's a risk associated with this. And this is that somebody else might also simultaneously hold the jackpot winning ticket. So you'd have to share the jackpot. So this, although you guarantee by the law of inevitability, holding the jackpot winning ticket, you don't... You may not, win, you may not win, win the full... Yeah, you might not win the... You might not win the full jackpot out of it. If it's less, I, re I remember reading a story a while back about someone discovered that one of the state lotteries had a system where um, if nobody had the full the full winning ticket, then uh, the prize would be split among everyone that had uh, like five of the six numbers correct. And someone figured out that actually that based on that the odds were were favorable for you. Is is that as long as nobody had the exact winning ticket, you could actually uh, guarantee yourself the jackpot. Um, by by having all of the you know almost winning tickets. Um, well, absolutely and right. Yes, that was the Massachusetts cash windfall lottery, and and two or three syndicates spotted this sort of math speaks spotted this and set up these syndicates to do that and made a fair bit of money. And then I think in January 2012, the lottery operators realised what was happening. Well, I mean, it's interesting because it, you would think in theory they say, well, as long as the rules of the lottery are still being followed, well, you know, what do, what do they care? But you know, then they start to realize that potentially you're you're running the risk of no longer having the lottery work properly and not not you know not getting a profit from it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, once it becomes widely known that this sort of thing is is happening, people are doing this sort of thing. Other people who aren't involved will say, well, I'm not going to play the lottery. My money's just going to these guys. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so that's the law of inevitability and the law of truly large numbers. Tell me a little bit about the law of selection. The, the, the law of selection, basically, well, there are different ways of expressing it. One way is that if you um, choose the data after the event, you can make probabilities as high as, as, as you like. And a, a classic example that you've probably come across here is um, you're walking along a country lane, um, and you come across a barn, and on the side of the barn you see lots of painted targets, and in the centre of each target you see an arrow, and you think, wow, this guy is a very good archer. And then you carry on walking along country lane, turn back, and on the other side of the barn you see a lot of arrows sticking in the side of the barn, and a man with a pot of paint painting targets around them. He's choosing his data after the event. He can make his probability of getting his arrows in the centre of the targets as high as he likes. He can make it equal to certainty. Um, so that's a sort of classic story. Um, but in fact, something like that happened 100 years ago during the First World War. Uh, during the First World War, aeroplanes were, were being experimented with as potential weapons of war. They were trying to work out how they could use them in, in this sort of way. And one of the experiments involved uh, a new weapon, a bundle of pencil-sized metal darts, which they drop on, on the, or intended to drop on the um, opposing forces. To work out how this weapon, to understand this weapon, work out how it worked, and they carried out a number of experiments where they flew over a field and dropped the metal darts onto the field. 
and then they went round putting squares of paper on the metal darts so they could see how they how they dispersed, how they spread out across the field. Once, when they were doing this, a cavalry officer rode up and asked what they were doing. And when he was told that there was a metal dart in the centre of each of the squares of paper, he said, my God, I didn't think you could be that accurate from an aeroplane. The point is, he thought he, he was sort of implicitly choosing the data after the fact, the law of selection, making the probabilities as high as you like. And in this case, it could have won. Now, do you think, is this uh, similar to, because there's actually a website that will show different correlations yeah. uh, be- between completely uninvolved things. It's basically showing that if you manipulate numbers and look, you know, carefully enough, you can, uh, and it would show correlations between, like, the price of cheese in Wisconsin and the number of people that uh, drowned in their bathtub. And they found, it was showing that there were really nice correlations from from year to year for specific events. It was basically yeah, just saying... Correlation. That's a, I know, wonderful, yeah. This is, this is, I think, really, this is probably an example of the law of truly large numbers. If you give me a, a time series of events, um, then I can trawl through the vast number of other time series on the web and some are bound to have quite high correlation just because there are so many truly large numbers to choose from. That's a wonderful website. Yeah. Okay, so there's the the law of selection. Now explain to me the law of the probability lever. The law of the probability lever, yeah. This says that if you change the circumstances uh, slightly, you can change the probability um, quite dramatically. Okay, so here's a a, a classic case involving um, lightning strikes. Um, In fact, this this involves a lot of truly large numbers as well. I mean, uh, you would think that given that the chance of being struck by lightning in America, it's about one in three million in in the course of a year. Around the world, more generally, it's one in 300,000. And you might think, well, why is it so different? Why is it 10 times more likely around the world in general? To be struck like to be killed by a lightning strike in a year than you are in America, and this is of course because the circumstances are slightly different. In other parts of the world, people spend much more time out in fields, out in the open, than they do in America, where people spend more time in offices. So the, the circumstances are slightly different, and they can change the probability by a factor of ten. In that example, it's the law of the probability lever. Okay, so so the idea that, or, or I feel like it's it's kind of like the law of confounding variables, or that there, if there's things that are going on that you're not accounting for. And it throws off your 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 predictions, then your then your understanding of the underlying probability can be vastly off. That's exactly right. Um, so people build models to try to calculate probabilities, and if they get it slightly wrong, they can, that can have severe consequences. Uh, there's a classic case. So there's a classic case case of this. Um, a, a woman doctor called Sally Clark, um, who who's two had two children who died in infancy and she was accused of murdering them Um, and she appeared in court and was in fact found guilty but um, some of the evidence on which she on the basis of which she was found guilty was provided by a medical doctor who calculated the probability of both of these children dying by just multiplying them together assumed that the chances were independent that in fact was a mistake if you look at the data it clearly is a mistake and if you take the correct probabilities into account it turns out she was much less likely to have murdered them than, than and it was just an accident than the other way around particularly tragic case um yeah so i mean it's just it, it it's kind of like uh what can happen a lot in science where if you uh forget if you assume that something for example has a normal distribution so kind of a nice symmetrical uh, was kind of thought as like the classical model of uh, probability distribution, and if you have it 
even skewed just a little bit or, you know, this happens, I think, all the time in like medical fields where if you assume that, you know, a certain disease has a nice normal distribution or if you're taking a look at like lab tests um, and if it doesn't, then all of your calculations for, you know, what should be the correct values or, you know, what you should be seeing can become completely skewed. That's exactly right. And there are many examples of that. And it's particularly forceful and pernicious in the tails of the distribution. So, for instance, if you look at the history of financial crashes around the world, you find stories, you know, this should have only happened one in a million years, one in 20 billion years, or never in the history of the universe sort of thing. Um, but you find that financial crashes happen quite often, funnily enough, every 20 or 30 years they seem to happen. Um, and one of the reasons for this mismatch between those probability calculations should only happen once in 20 billion years and the fact that they happen every 30 years is because those probability calculations are exactly as you say. They're based on the normal distribution. If they were based on a distribution which more accurately reflected what's going on in the world, you would find that uh, such crashes would be expected to happen. You know, I was at, uh, I was thinking about this because in your book you mentioned uh, the story of uh, of people breaking the bank. Of, of uh, it's the story of uh, Joseph Jagger uh, yeah, and yeah. figuring out uh, small changes in the in the probability of a roulette wheel. And it actually reminds me of uh, the story of the uh, MIT students who got uh, who developed a system for counting cards. It's, it's basically the same idea as counting cards at a at a casino. Yeah. That if you um, if you're able to wait until you know it's actually kind of it's it's funny it's it's a nice intersection of the uh, probability lever and uh, the uh, law of inevitability. If you wait until the um, the situation's kind of in, in your favor and you can actually you know wait until the the pro- the, the laws of probability are slightly changed, then yeah. you can have a, a drastically different uh, outcome. And so they were they were able to wait for small changes in the distribution of cards to come up. And by and by right. observing that those changes in probability were able to uh, com- completely shift the odds in their favor. That's exactly right. And, and, and indeed, algorithmic trading companies try to do this. They have algorithms which they think give them a, just a very slight edge on whether, for instance, the stock market is going to go up or down. Um, and on the basis of that, you know, that very slight edge, assuming they've got it right, um, then they can shift the odds in their favor and, and you know, over the course of time do very well. I think there's actually also uh, there's been similar scandals with that in uh, in gambling uh, rings uh, where and I know that this this is, can happen sometimes in small uh, tennis matches where they have people that are constantly monitoring the the tennis match because the odds will get uh, modified as the match is going on but if you can get your information more quickly yeah. than the odds makers do you're able to exploit very small edges in probability. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, these are these are really nice examples of the law of the probability lever. Exactly as you say, a slight shift in the probabilities can have a big effect on the outcome. Yeah. Okay. And so finally, we have uh, the law of near enough. And if you can yeah. uh, explain that for us, because I think that's yeah. also a really critical feature. Okay. So the, the law of near enough says that if you um, slightly change the circumstances, um, slightly broaden things, to increase um, sorts of events you're dealing with, enlarge the sort of event you're dealing with, you can increase the probability. So um, a classic case of this is um, uh, a couple, um, William and Ginny Shaw, who were both involved in in fatal train crashes in the UK. Now, I should say rail travel in the UK is incredibly safe. Um, (laughs) So 
So, you know, the chance of anyone being involved in a fatal train crash is very, very small. The chance of these two being involved in an amazing coincidence, you would think, and you can do the calculations and indeed amazing coincidence. But it wasn't as if it was William Shaw involved in both train crashes. It was William and his wife. So we've automatically, you know, had it just been William, we would have said, what an amazing coincidence. But we're also saying, what an amazing coincidence, because it was William and his wife. Had it been William and his brother or cousin or workmate or sister or whatever, we'd still be saying, what an amazing coincidence. And by including all of these possibilities, I'm increasing the chance of this sort of thing happening. I'm increasing the probability. And furthermore, it wasn't that the two train crashes, train crashes occurred on the same day or week or year. They were, in fact, 13 years apart. So by broadening the time, I'm making it, giving me more scope for this what appears at first glance to be an amazing coincidence to occur. So the law of near enough, we're saying these things are near enough to be included in our definition of coincidence. And, and I think that this would probably hold true for a lot of uh, the things that we think of in our everyday life, like kind of personal examples of coincidences. You say, oh, well, this happened, and then something similar to that, but not exactly that, happened you know, a yeah. year later, under similar circumstances, so man, what a coincidence! Like the, you know, the, that I'm having. Say, for example, um, you know, there was a tornado on my birthday last year, and then ten years later, it was a really bad thunderstorm with high winds. You know, and they're they're similar yeah, things, exactly. but they're but they're not quite exactly the same, and so it, it makes coincidences a lot easier to to come about. Exactly. That's another very nice example. That's spot on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I mean, so I I think one of the things that a lot of people, when they when they kind of think about these things, is that um, it takes. I think they worry that it will take away some of some of the fun from their life, or you know, some of some of the wonder and amazement. Um, And I know a lot of people that you know they find coincidences just to be to be really enthralling and. You, you, you actually point out an example of, uh, and th- this is something that I know a lot of statisticians have looked over, the theory of the hot hand in basketball. Yeah. The idea that, yeah. that someone, you know, and players will talk about it all the time. They'll say, oh, man, you know, it just uh, the basket looked like it was as big as an ocean, and then they always talk about how it just seems like everything. And, and people have basically gradually debunked the concept of the hot hand and said that, you know, the, that – as much fun as it is to think about somebody getting hot and just everything their shooting goes in, that in in reality uh, the hot hand seems to be, if if not entirely mythical, mostly mythical. It's not it's not a real thing. Yeah. Uh, your spot on the hot hand is a, is particularly controversial um, because I think it's exactly as you say. It's in, almost entirely mythical, but you know there are some aspects to it, but. Um, but this is something which people, in this, this example, something they particularly strongly resist. No, it, it must be real. Um, and I think this, this is sort of symptomatic of, of, of a general sort of notion that I've come along and said, you know, look at the maths. You should expect these things to happen. And people think, oh, that's, that's very boring. It's taking away the sense of wonder. Um, and I always argue that that is not the case. It is just as exciting. Merely because you understand what's going on doesn't make it any less exciting. So, for instance, in 2012, I attended the Royal Statistical Society conference in um, Telford, and um, I went up to the reception desk to register, and I said, my name's David Hand. The receptionist looked at her screen and said, "Um, but you've already registered. And then she looked at her screen again and said, oh, no, I see what it is. There are two David Hands with us this week. Now, I can go away and do the maths and work out the chance of meeting another David Hand, 
it turns out to be quite likely that I will meet another David Hem during the course of my life, given the number of conferences I go to and the number of people I meet. But just because it turns out to be quite likely, in no way detracts from the excitement and sort of wonder I felt when I saw this other David hand. No, so I mean, and, and, and I think it, it's still, it, it still can be really amazing just because you've got an understanding of the, of the underlying odds and that you don't, or you know, if, if you say just because there isn't some mystical force guiding these things to happen doesn't make them less remarkable. Exactly, exactly. I would um, in fact go so far as to say that if you understand these things and understand the mathematics or whatever behind them, it perhaps even makes it more exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think this is why uh, a lot of math, you know, why statisticians say, no, the world can actually be more beautiful when you when you understand these things better. That there's actually a lot of wonder to be seen, kind of in understanding the intricacies and the and the science behind what goes on. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you don't just see the amazing effect or outcome or, or result of what it is you're looking at, but you understand the even more amazing complexity and so on structure behind it yeah um well do you so do you have so do you have anything that you'd like to say then to i guess to the people that that worry that you know once you take away their superstitions and their coincidences that that it, it, it's going to make the, the world less exciting and less fun yeah no i i, I um, often give uh, an example to illustrate why i think that not the case. An example I give is, is the rainbow. When you are young or whatever, you come across a rainbow and you see it arching across the sky, all these colours, you think, that is incredible, and you stop and stare at it because it's so wonderful and amazing. But then, just because we understand the physics behind the rainbow, we understand how light reflect, reflects and refracts around inside the raindrops, in no way detracts from the amazing beauty and wonder of the rainbow. We still stand and stop and look at it arching across the sky. And I would, in fact, go further and say that because we now understand all the incredible things which result, which come together to produce this effect, that makes it even more exciting. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's a, that's a great point, um, and I think it helps to, to ensure that you don't have to just because you understand something doesn't mean that you have to lose your sense of wonder and beauty at it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, uh, thank you for appearing on our show. Uh, again, we've been talking to Dr. David J. Hand. Uh, his book is called The Improbability Principle, Why Coincidences, Miracles, and Rare Events Happen Every Day. So, Dr. Hand, thank you so much. Thank you very much indeed.